Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, people, I'm doing this thing, this uh, No Shave November. And, uh, and there's also Movember, where people just grow a mustache. Or as they say in Glendale, it's Armovember, where the Armenian women don't shave their eyebrows or their mustaches for a whole month. But I'm doing it, I'm doing it now, and it's so funny because my beard is coming in completely gray. And I'm sitting there. And a while ago, like, when I was out of the hospital last year, I, I didn't shave. And I looked like, you know, I lost all that weight. I looked like a very skinny Richard Dreyfus. And now I'm looking like a younger Bob Balaban. And it's five days and it's coming in. And I think my girlfriend hates it, but she understands it's for, you know, health. It's for health awareness. And I did just turn 50 last week. So, you know, if you're out there, don't shave. And uh, if I if you see any pictures of me, I, you, I, I look really old right now. But enough about me. I have a great guest. I got to tell you something very funny. I hit this guy up on Facebook. And I remember this actor. And I remember him, believe it or not, it was, I, don't know, I think it was like 1987. I'm not sure. But... I used to love the show Tales from the Crypt. And I remember seeing, and because my birthday is the night before Halloween, I always loved watching that Halloween stuff. And I wasn't into horror movies, but I loved Tales from the Crypt. And he was in an episode, I remember, he still remember it vividly, I think either him or his friend dressed up like Abe Lincoln at this Halloween party. And he picks up a girl, and this girl has a smoking body, and he takes her back home, and he has her way with her. Now, he's a real ladies' man in this, in this, in this show. And she ends up, she never takes her mask off, and it's her face. And that's, my guess is Peter Honorati. How you doing, Peter? Good, how are you? I still remember. <laughs> that episode because whenever like yeah. I saw you I mean what I do is when I when I get my guests a lot of time is people that are you know have been in a ton of stuff which you have you have a great yeah. career you'll see like let's say you're in a castle and I'm like wait a second then I always go okay and I know your name from yeah. from that test script and then I google it and I go yeah. they're on Facebook then I send a message yeah. and then you were nice to get it back <laughs> but I still remember that. it's so weird in that episode it was and then after that that was like you started booking a lot of stuff after that actually was that was uh it, in the 90s it, it, it was, it was in, 90s, in the mid 90s okay. yeah yeah and uh, yeah the, well actually the director of that particular episode ended up getting a feature like hill house or haunted hill house or something like that off of that episode because that uh, tales from the crypt at that time um had some pretty big uh, producers um, oh and john Cassier, the voice has been on my show before right so you know um they they uh they really liked his work, and I really had a good time doing it. I was not the Abe Lincoln. It was He was my best friend okay. in, in, in the episode. And uh, I believe the girl's name was Sherry that played the other role. And she played a part in, uh, I think she played Ray Liotta's wife in a, uh, for a, a short bit in a movie that he did as well. But uh, that was a tough shoot, man. You know, uh, naked, on the floor, Faking. And it's, it's HBO, so they, it's HBO. they show. They show. Nothing there, man. Faking hardcore boning for three or four hours, you know. And I looked up at the director and I said, You got this, right? And he goes, Oh, I just want to go, No, man, you got it. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm not, you know, I've been a good boy. And, you know, and, you know, as, a, as an American male, you grow up with the idea that that's exactly the place that you want to be, right there. Right. But when you're there on a film set, you. You don't want to be there. It's it's the worst place in the world with even a skeleton crew of like eight people, one of which was a beautiful little focus puller. And I, I just, it was a very hard time, no pun intended. It That's was, uh, yeah, it must be crazy. Yeah. Now, now your background is is, is is great. You're sort of like Scrovan. You're one of these good looking guys who does comedy. You know, you play football. <laughs> Scrovan played football, yeah. whatever. And you played at Lycoming. Yeah, I played at Lycoming, yeah. And which is in Williamsport. Off, yep. And I went off to the World Football League and got cut. But, you know, but you know. Now the world football league was that the one with Steve Young and Reggie White? Or was that the, 
No, no, that was the USFL. Okay. Um, the World Football League just was right before that, actually. And uh, what was great for me was uh, if I had made the team, I was going to get a chance to play against my heroes who all moved over, one of which went to my high school, from the Dolphin Dynasty. Jim Kick, okay. uh, Paul Warfield, and uh, um, who else went? Mercury uh, Morris? I don't know no. if Mercury went that year, but uh, they, were in, they, they jumped their last year into the World Football League. Who went to your high school? Kick. Okay, kick. Jimmy okay, kick. yeah. He was he was the uh, running back with the handlebar mustache. Yep. He and Larry Zonko, that famous Sports Illustrated cover where he's flipping off, flipping the bird. I remember yeah. the censors. I remember that. Yep. So, so you, you get you do you do the football and you get cut by the USF of uh, the World Football League. Yeah. And now, and I read a little bit. And you went into the business world for a while. Yeah, I went back and uh, ended up getting my uh, MBA from Fairleigh Dickinson University. Uh, my Claire. No, that's where Philly Dickinson is in. What, what well, there's Philly Dickinson. There's in Teaneck. The one I went to was in Madison. Okay. There's also a campus in Oxford, actually. All right. Um, but uh, I got my MBA in Madison, and uh, I ended up working for Ford Motor Company in the export division for a few years uh, in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, and then I did my master's thesis. Ford ended up paying for the last two-thirds of my MBA, so I ended up doing my master's thesis on one of McCall's magazines, which was called Working Mother. Um, my girlfriend was the art director there. And uh, so as soon as I, I graduated with my MBA, Ford laid me off because <laughs> 1980 it was the, uh, you know, the, the depths of the automobile business. Okay. And uh, I presented my thesis to McCall's magazines and they hired me on and made me director of marketing and research for three of their publications. So... Uh, so you're then, doing well. You're doing well. I was doing fine, and I was doing improvisational comedy as a hobby now, did in you, New York City. Were you always a comedy fan growing up, or was it just something you said, you know what, I want to do something different? I want you know, to- this all happened completely by accident. The girl uh, that I was going out with um, that was at McCall's, we would, uh, I would come in and meet her from Newark. She was in the city, in New York City. I would come in and meet her. We'd have dinner. We had this routine. We'd go to dinner in Restaurant Row at a place called El Tanapa. It's gone now, an old Mexican restaurant. And then we'd go, we'd go to the improv. At the time, the headliners were Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Mark Wiener, um, uh, Gilbert Gottfried, all those guys, and Joe Piscopo. And I'd sit there looking at these guys and cracking up the audience, and i go, you know, I, I think I could do that, you know? Well, she got so sick and tired of hearing me doing it, that or saying that, that she... Um, she bought me a one-night class in comedy okay. at the Network for Learning in New York. So I went in and I met this improv group, and I started working out with them in all the shitholes, you know, in, in New York City. And um, back then, it's not like now. Back then, there wasn't a lot of places. I mean, I remember we used to go from Philly. That we'd go to the uh, first time we went up to New York. It was the uh, the Village Tavern. I think, yep. And that was just, that was a crap hole. It was, yep. like, it was like our first reaction because in Philadelphia, it was a very breeding ground because there's 25 comics, but people came, crowds came to the opening mic. But this, you go to the Village Tavern and there's 35 people. They're all comics. Yep. It's five o'clock in the afternoon. No one's going to see comedy back yep. at that time. Yep. And you're going, what the hell is this crap? Yeah. Well, Lewis Black was actually, um, he was the MC at a little place called the West Bank Cafe. Okay. And my wife was also, my, my, my now wife who, um, I met in the improv group actually um, was uh, uh, was doing her act there. She had a partner. They're now writing partners and have been so for over twenty five years. Um, they were you know working at the West Bank Cafe and, and Lou Black was he was the MC at the time. You know so it was kind of a, a really cool uh, beginning of the new stage of, of comedy. You know right. you know and uh, it was a great time and um, so I was. 
working along at McCall's for about four and a half, five years. And I had some of my research published in Advertising Age. I got it picked up. I was getting big offers from other companies. And I went into my boss and said, uh, you know, I'm getting these offers. I really don't, I don't want to leave, you know. I know you can't match them, but maybe, maybe you can do something with the bonus, you know. And she said, well, the publisher doesn't know what you do. I said, really? I said, wait right there. And I went in my office and I got a loose leaf notebook of all the things that I had done over the last four years that obviously she had taken credit for. And I said, now before I open this notebook, I want you to realize I worked at Ford Motor Company. If you learn anything working at Ford Motor Company, you learn how to cover your ass. And I opened up the book and that opened up a, a big problem. Okay. So um, I said, here's what I'll do. I said, you can't fire me. My work is too good. Why don't you make it so I can collect unemployment and I'll leave. She said, deal. So I left. I took a crash course in commercials, and within a year and a half, I was on my first series, which was the last season of Kate and Alley. Now, so you, you went from barely no background in acting, really. No, just improvisation. That's so it. you did the improv, but you weren't even doing improv for that long. Three three years. Okay, couple, yeah, yeah, so you yeah, leave. Four years, yeah. And now what, what, what is your process once you leave? Do you go get an agent, or do you, I mean, how do you start getting this work? Well, luckily, my wife, and, this, and the process, by the way, cannot happen the same way now as it did then. Um, my wife was a starving actress. She had a few agents that were, you know, looking at her but not signing her. And she brought my picture into one of the agencies that was working with her. And they said, oh, we can get this guy work. Well, you have to understand, that was 1987. The stereotypes for casting commercials were Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, Tony Danza, and uh, uh, Bruce Willis. I cross over... Right. All of those. Yeah, it, yeah so, you do. So, you know, it was perfect timing in the marketplace, at least for me. And because I had, you know, a business background, I knew how to market myself. I knew I could sustain a character through my improv training for at least 30 seconds. So I made a great living in commercials for the first year and a half or so. What were, what, do you remember your first big commercial? My first big commercial was uh, United Airlines. Uh, and the first, the big one that most of the people back home in Jersey remember uh, it was like my second one was a, a Miller Lite from the Taste Great Less Filling campaign okay. with Conrad Dobler. I remember that. Where he starts a fight between two guys and and I was one of the guys. Okay, so and yeah. then back then that's when commercials you made money. Like yeah. now it's oh, changed. Yeah. Right? Nationals. Yeah. So you're doing the commercials and so now I'm doing commercials. Now how did Kate and Alley come about? Because Kate and Alley was was that shot here or is no? That was in New York. Okay, it was, it was actually at the Ed Sullivan Theater, which is now the Letterman Theater. Right. Um, and uh, so I, I so. My wife, Jeanette, um, actually, the reason I got into the business was when I had that problem at work, my wife, who was then in the improv group with me, Jeanette Collins, she said, I think you could be an actor. I said, really? So I could starve and have four jobs like you? Right. So I took the ice pack <laughs> off my eye, and I decided to try it, and that's when I went into this crash course in commercials. But um, So when I, when I started to, to work in commercials, we got married, and I got this audition for this part in, in Kate and Allie. Um, because in the meantime, my commercial reps sent me down to the public theater to do voices in the original production of Talk Radio with Eric Bogosian. Okay. So I got the job. I did six characters in Talk Radio, two on stage and four callers. So through that, I met an actress who said, you should really see my legit agents. And I said, okay. And that person, uh, Kay Lieberman, and Lenore Zerman, uh, they were both agents in New York at a place called Bauman Hiller, which doesn't exist anymore. 
they are now my managers. They, they're still okay. in my business life, you know, from from then on. And so I went in on Kate and Alley. Had six callbacks. One was against Meatloaf. And uh, see, that's I, funny. I, like you, I can't see like you and Meatloaf in the same. It's well, like you have nothing. You look nothing alike. It just goes to show you, they don't know what the hell they right. want. You know, it was <laughs> the guy was a superintendent. He was a blue collar guy, and you know, both Meatloaf and I kind of cover that demographic. You know, that description. And so, uh, so I, I, you know, I did six callbacks, and I said, "The hell with this." My wife and I had gotten married. We hadn't gone on our honeymoon, so I said, "We're going on our honeymoon." And uh, it was twenty five years ago, right? I guess right now that we went. Um, and I got the call saying, you got the job, and uh, it was great. I came back and started to work because it was a, the last season of Kate and Alley. They started late in the season. I think they started, you know, uh, to air in uh, December. So was that was that weird for you to be on the set? Because, I mean, we're improv and you're doing commercials, but, I mean, there's a big difference between doing commercials and acting. Was it a weird, did you have to get used to it, or did you feel you knew what you were doing as soon as you got on there? I felt like, you know, especially with Jane Curtin there and Susan St. James, Susan St. James, great actress, Jane Curtin, great actress and, and, and comedian. I felt really comfortable. And when you're just like a, 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 like a recurring role like that, there's no burden on you to do anything. You just hit the mark, change the line. And what was really interesting to me that, that I think called back to my improv training is that they would change the lines right up to filming. Okay. I didn't realize that was happening. I thought I got a script. Okay, this is my lines. We get the laughs. We move on. But uh, no, there was like a meeting after we'd have, we've, we'd have two uh, two shoots. We'd shoot one in the afternoon in front of an audience and one in the evening, and they'd combine cuts from the two. And then from the afternoon to the evening, they'd come downstairs and they'd completely rewrite a page or two. And i go, really? <laughs> I had no idea. That's crazy. You know? But it was fine. It worked out great, you know? And, and Susan was great. She was really in my corner she actually got me a whole episode of my own see know? that that's good no 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 it's so funny that as i look because i always look at the resumes and all stuff yeah. it, it's just amazing and I, I told my listeners earlier who's younger about cop rock and it's just so funny that both you and kathleen were both on mm -hmm. cop rock and i remember when cop rock came out and i, I remember it was, it was 1990 and it was i i've been out of college but four years and um no one knew what the hell it was like because it was it was so different but now it would be called you know, glee. cutting. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. It is. It, yeah. it was glee with yeah. an edge. Yeah. But um, well, no, now, did you have a back? Did you sing in that show? I did. I ended up. I was the last one to sing. I sang in the fourth episode. I ended up doing four numbers, and uh, but I was one of the only untrained singers in the whole ensemble. Now, how did they find you? Because you know, this they shot that in New York or LA. Shot here. I said, no, no. Had in you LA. had you moved to LA already? I or? had moved to LA. Yeah, I just just moved out to LA. Um, my son was born out here. My first son uh, was born here, and um, it was really funny. I was on location um, doing a movie with uh, Nick Cage and Tommy Lee Jones called Firebirds okay. in Arizona, and I came back, and one of my wife's old friends, uh, a, a wonderful quite well-known uh, Broadway actor, Howard McGillan. He was the longest-running phantom on Broadway. Um, Howard was at my house. He was visiting from New York, and he said, I got a call to go up for this thing, Cop Rock, you know? And I was only home for a couple days, and I was going back to Arizona. So I went back to Arizona and uh, then came back when the movie was over, and I got a call from Kay, my then-agent, now-manager, saying... Uh, you told me you sing, right? I go, why? Well, I mean, I, I sung at a couple of weddings. Right. And I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a trained singer. She goes, I want you to go in for cop rock. And I went, okay. So I went in. Uh, I did the audition for the, the dramatic part of it. 
Um, I did another callback for the uh, dramatic part of it, and then um, we had uh, we had the singing uh, uh, auditions, and uh, I had to come back a couple times. I actually went into Mike Post. I think they were a little worried about my resume, my singing resume. Okay. Not necessarily my voice. Maybe they were. I don't know. But they hired me, and uh, and let me tell you, uh, I. I, I, it's one of the best things I've ever done. I always wanted to get an Emmy just so I could stand up there and say, "You know what, Cop Rock's the best thing I ever did." Thank well, you. Yeah, that's so. It's so funny because it got canceled because I guess people. I guess people just didn't get it, and it was. It's, it's, they a, didn't get it's it. a different time back then, and then just, there's. Sure. There's so many different stations yeah. now, but back then there was only. You know, well, it did well in all you know in all the urban centers. It it didn't you know it didn't do well in the, in the middle of the com- country where the uh, where the Nielsen boxes were. You know, as a matter of fact, I, I still tell this story. We have what they call the upfronts, where they bring in all the stars at the different shows uh, in front of all the advertisers. It's a big dinner and a show. And that particular night, Randy uh, Newman, who did the all the music for the first episode of Cop Rock, that's all Randy Newman. And uh, he performed. The Four Tops performed. And so then they show clips of the different shows. They showed, um, um, oh my gosh, what was it? The really weird show that went on for two years. Uh, Twin Peaks? Twin Peaks. Yep, it was on at the same time as that. And so they showed your previous guests. They showed the last scene of the pilot, which is Kathleen Wilhoit singing a Randy Newman lullaby to her baby and selling it into adoption for 200 dollars cash it's one of the most dramatic wonderful creative and artistic moments i have ever seen in tv disconnected totally from my 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 love for the show and and my participation in the show you could hear a pin drop in that place and i was sitting with the affiliates from sioux city iowa and the guy leaned forward and he said this is the head of the affiliate who has to sell our show. He says, oh, hell, she wouldn't sing when she sells her baby. I said, okay, we're screwed. <laughs> yeah. We're dead right now. No, no, did people recognize <laughs> you after that show? Because it was, yeah. it was, it was. I mean, I just said it was big in the yeah. market. And you're living in L.A. Yeah. And so, but did, yeah. I mean, and now had you been recognized before? I mean, maybe from commercials, but. Yeah, there was, I had a great AT&T commercial that everybody recognized me from and, and a few other things. But no, a lot of people recognized me and, and a lot of people <laughs> chastised me, especially a lot of my family and my old, my old Jersey buddies. What the hell was that? What was that? I go, you know what, man, go to Broadway, take a look at a play. Okay, then come back and give me crap about it, you know. And it's so, so yeah. So and, and it's and it's still it's like you're we're on a, a sitcom. I mean, not a sitcom, a, a drama. Yeah. On AB. On back then, there was yeah. only so many shows. So it's a big. Yeah. It's a big. Adjustment. Well, and you know what? To me, it, it, Cop Rock was when when you when you go to uh, to management school. Um, now I don't know because you know what I got as an MBA is probably a bachelor's degree now. But there are case studies that you do, and one of the biggest. And best examples of overpromotion in the case studies in management school is the Edsel automobile. That's what Cop Rock was. It was an Edsel. It was overpromoted okay. to be something that the audience would not understand that it was. The greatest thing, groundbreaking, you know, and, you know, they, they didn't get it. And I, I said, I said to, to, to Stephen Bochco one time, I said, you know, I said, here's, here's my idea, you know. Why don't we take a, a rock star or a pop star right now and work her into a number and do a music video, release the music video first, 
and then say, you'll see it this week coming up on Cop Rock. And both he and Greg Hobbler, they went, oh, screw you and your NBA. Shut the hell up, you know. But I think it would have helped. But that's what they do now all the time. That's what they that's do what now. That's what they do all the time. That's what they do you know, now. I mean, even it's so funny. Yeah, they, they do that. It's like, yeah, come, you know, you get that following or yeah. you can hear the song on this show. And so it's then you go, it goes, wow. They yeah. go, okay, it's, it's, you know, the song. So you're, you're going to watch the show. Right. Cold Case did that very well. Cold yeah. Case would do the whole Springsteen episode or the whole Pearl Jam episode. Yep. And you'd sit there and you watch it and you'd identify more. Yep. And if you hear, oh, it's, you know, the music of John Lennon on Cold Case. Well, you know, people are going to watch it like John Lennon. And, you know, we had another stumbling block with Cop Rock. It was all original music. Like is, Lee is just doing redoing stuff, right. right? I mean, not just it's a great show, but but you know we had all original music and we had two Academy Award winners on our writing staff. We had Donnie Markowitz, who's still a good friend of mine, uh, who wrote "Time of My Life" from Dirty Dancing. Okay, and we had Amanda McBroom, who wrote "The Rose." They were on our writing staff, and there was some good stuff in there. And yes, people just you know what I think it was when people. Most of the people in the country who had the Nielsen boxes, when they come home from work and they sit down and watch television, there's an entertainment quotient to what they want to watch, and and there's a, a and 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 there's a mindless quotient as well, and and those two work against cop rock. They don't want to sit down and look at this show and make a decision as to whether or not this is going on in a guy's head, right, or whether or not it's really happening in front of them, and they're like, this is bullshit get you know he's not gonna sing when you you know now is that is that on like did it can you get that on dvd now or stuff like that no and because you think it it would probably take off right now there's a cop rock facebook page that's all they keep calling for it and i you know i have have lunch with with steven once in a while you know and i don't know quite what what or who owns it whether it's fox or whoever but i don't know why it's not because now that that it would get hot people would have fun fun with it and And listen look how many People came off of that show. Jimmy McDaniel went on to NYPD Blue. Uh, uh, Ronnie Cox, who was already you know a huge you know movie star, went on to do all all the stuff that he went on to do and his music. Uh, there were tons of people. Uh, Paul McCrane ended up on uh, on ER and is a director now. Um, uh, you know David Giannopoulos, uh, uh, all these guys that we all went on to other shows, and I went on to another show for Botchko as well with Mario Hemingway. It was called uh, Civil Wars. Right, no, I was looking at yeah. So that, but so he knew you. So he is that why he spun you on that? And plus, but did you did you have heat? Even though the show was canceled, I'm sure it was one of those things that now they would call it like you know the the, the critics' darling. But back then it didn't. Yeah. happen. But it's like the, the people. I always say that's very familiar with AMC. AMC takes people who actors who you don't really know that well. Right. Right. But then they put them on an AMC show, right. and and AMC has such good taste in their show right. that then they, all of a sudden they get so much. I mean, Brian Cranston was. Yeah, I mean, sure. everyone forgets he was a Malcolm in the Middle. Sure. John Hamm. Sure. They get they get the heat, and it's a show because a lot of people don't watch AMC because they don't have cable. Right. But like, with, but when you came out of Cop Rock, did you have some heat going? I with did you? have some heat. I did have some heat. I had a couple interesting uh, um, offers and uh, and some other interest. And uh, I wanted to stay working for Steven, and I and I thought it was a great move to change characters from this kind of street smart, uh, you know, bad cop, to this uh, uh, lawyer, this family attorney, basically who deals with people's pain and divorces and child um, uh, custody and 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 all these these really and, and civil wars was wonderfully 
wonderfully written show. Billy Finkelstein, who actually created my character on Cop Rock, created the show Civil Wars. Okay. And Debbie Mazur was on Civil Wars, and uh, David Ginop- uh, I'm sorry, David Marciano, who just came off of Homeland, was. We were all the first cast. He, of- David Marciano is the the uh, the security expert. Yes, Bald I guy. think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a great character. I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's good. He's I like him. Guy. He's good. He's yeah. good. So yeah. you do civil now, now, but now people, you must be getting recognized more and more now, yeah. which must be weird when you're, you're a guy from the, but you did play college football and you're all confident. So you're probably always recognized because of your athleticism. Well, some, you know, there was some, you know, modicum of recognition in high school and making this all-county team or that all-county team, but not, nothing like this. And, and, you know, of course, living in L.A., You'd, nobody, if even if they recognize you, it's not a big deal. But when I'd go back to New York, I, I heard a, ta- a taxi cab screech to a halt, and this guy yells at me. He goes, "Hey, Peter!" And I'm looking at this guy. I'm going, "Wow, do I know him from when I lived here?" He goes, "You don't know me. You don't know me. I love your work." And he, it was, he was on a bicycle, and the, and the taxi had screeched to a halt behind him because he stopped in the taxi. He's going, "Get the fuck out of the way!" You know, <laughs> and and you know, so and that was great, and. You know, and you do a couple things. Uh, you start to they start to enlist you to do these uh, different uh, celebrity things across the country. Little, you know, uh, uh, benefits like for, I've been doing this one for breast cancer that Mark Helgenberger put together years ago. She's not affiliated with it anymore, but Marg was married to Alan Rosenberg, who was also on Civil Wars with me. Okay, and, and Alan grew up in uh, in uh, uh, Passaic, uh, uh, Patterson area. And we were twenty miles away from each other. You know, it's funny. So you do that stuff, and then you go you go to those parts of the country like Omaha and and uh, uh, you know uh, Austin or or so, and you realize who watches television because these people can come up to you and cite an episode ten years after you've done the show because it meant something to them. They were going through a divorce at the time. Or it's something. funny you say that because last week I had Louis Lombardi on, uh-huh. and he was Edgar in uh, Twenty Four, and mm-hmm. he said people would come up and just like they'd be like oh my god when you die and it's just it affects them and and that was a while ago yeah i mean my girlfriend was here in the studio and she's like she loved that character yeah. she's like oh and she's i didn't i didn't i didn't really watch the show but she's like oh yeah you know but it's just weird especially this and back then there wasn't we weren't inundated with so much tv there was right. only right. for me in philly it was three six ten seventeen twenty nine yeah. and forty eight yeah so it was those things yeah so so you, you do get civil wars gets gets canceled yep after two years uh you know uh, but great wars. cast great people great behind cast, it great cast so i went back to a sitcom it was my own sitcom it was called joe's life and uh now, was that your first uh besides Cagney and Lacey, was that your first sitcom where you starred in? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, Kate and Allie I didn't star in. I no, was, yeah, I was you know co- like a co star recurring. But yeah, that was my first one. Mary Page Keller played my wife, George DiCenzo played my brother, um um Danny Masterson was in it. Uh it Did you was, own a bar in that? No. Yes, we okay, owned a, I remember that. See, yeah. I remember that okay. Bar restaurant. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And that was, you know, again, it was it was a great show it was the sitcom to get that year because bob meyer was running it and he'd just come off of roseanne so seemed like the right place to be and then 13 episodes into it we were you know we were canceled was it uh, an adjustment for you because you were in you know the cop rock and then you know civil wars and so they were dramas and they were longer format and yeah. every if people if you don't know the script is different and believe yeah. in, a, in, a, in a drama it's like a screenplay yeah and in a 
sitcom. sitcom. It's, a, it's a it's you double space each line. Yeah, and was, was, <laughs> wait was, for the laughs. Yeah, was it was it was it uh, an adjustment for you for doing from an hour where this? I mean, an hour which you're not in the whole hour. You're in different parts. This where you, it was yeah. mostly. It you was an adjustment to my work habits. It wasn't a, an adjustment for my creativity because my roots were in improvisational comedy. So it's kind of great to get back to it, you know. But it was adjust an adjustment for my work habits because, you know, on a hour dr drama. You have an eight-day shooting schedule. You might come in for two days or for three days or two days and then skip a day and then come in for three days or just two days for the whole episode. And you could work till really late at night. Sitcom, you're in you know, every day at the same time, out every day at the same time, and then you film one night a week. You know, and uh, But sitcom is, I think, if you're leading a sitcom like I was, I think that's harder than doing an hour drama because of what I told you about before about Kate and Allie. We do the show in front of an audience, and there would be these huge, huge rewrites come down before the second taping. And when you're the lead, most of the changes are yours. Right. And when you're the lead, too, in a sitcom a lot, um, I think it's pretty apparent. I haven't seen much of it. I've only seen clips of, uh, I think it's Brooklyn Nine-Nine now with Andre Brower. Right, yeah. The other guy's the lead, but, uh, but Andre Brower is, he's sort of the lead in that the lead usually lays tracks. You lay track for the jokes. You, you know, you give up your give up the laughs to the rest of the characters in in the ensemble, basically. So you have the, the most words, basically. So when those when those words change, and you know, I was doing stand up comic. You know, there's a rhythm, there's a rhythm to comedy. You right. know, and and there are ethnic rhythms to comedy, and you know, uh, there are regional r rhythms to comedy. I give you a perfect example. Um, in Joe's life, there was a scene where I take my daughter to the. Uh, to the gynecologist for the first time fish out of water scene right so i sit down and uh i'm you know and this woman screams next to me i get up i walk away because i think it's me and i grab this pamphlet and i'm looking at this pamphlet turning it upside down inside out and i look at the woman next to me it's it's a pamphlet on the uterus and i go geez no matter how you turn it looks like it's staring you right in the face you know ah, big laughs move on right and then i sit next to this other woman who's slightly overweight and i go so when do you do I'm not pregnant. Fat joke. Ha, ha, ha. We go on, right? So all week, blah, 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 blah. So when do you do? So when do you do? The night that we film it, we do two takes. I do it the same way, right? And Bob Meyer, and, and basically all the writers of this sitcom were f about an Italian family in New Jersey were mostly Jewish, right? So I said, uh, Bob Meyer comes over and he goes, can we just do one more take? We'll just we'll do one more take. And I said, yeah, sure. And I walked over to George Dicenzo, the other guinea in the cast, and I said, watch this i do the thing i sit down a woman screams i do the thing with the uterus pamphlet i went over i sit down next to the to the woman i go so when do you do and that's the one they printed because that was the jewish rhythm of right. the joke it's yeah it's true it's you know? just it's, it's so different you know it was very interesting to me you know and 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 after having played that character that i had i told you about uh in stand-up you know, uh, my my partner uh, was Jewish, uh, Gary Wait, Richmond. No, no, tell tell me because we started talking, and you you said you're bringing this back, right? Yes, we're going to bring it back. Tell me, tell me about I wrote this. Wrote a little short film for him. This character was, we believe anyway, the only Hasidic Siamese twin that played the guitar ever in uh, stand-up history. I you know I I don't I don't really know any Siamese. I I, just, I don't know any Hasidic Siamese twins. They were called Saul and Herschel Kipperman, and. Uh, 
we called ourselves the Kippermans, and we did the comedy clubs in New York, and we did really well. Actually, we would, we did some great shtick, and then we would do a, a, a parody uh, or two each each set. And uh, now, were you conjoined when you were in there? Or were you yeah, we we were bound from the waist up. So he played the guitar, I didn't. So he did the chords with his left hand, and I just strummed the okay. guitar. And we each only had one pace on the outside, you know. And uh, um, we were. Uh, we did we did really well and and then we hooked up with a woman there was a woman in new york city um adrian something she had a company called bubby graham you know how he's uh singing telegrams and right. stuff well she would go into these offices in new york as a bubby as a you know grandmother and embarrass the person whose birthday it was and hit him with a rubber chicken and leave him with this great thing of chicken soup that was bubby graham so we started going to work for her and we ended up doing parties in the garment district we make up songs about the person who was the testimonial dinner and you know so on and we just had the greatest time but it was it was nothing to us it was just something that we we did and my partner gary richmond uh uh is still back in new york he and his wife are married and um and so we're thinking about i've got a website uh that i'm going to put up with it but we're going to do a little short film on it and uh start posting sort of kipperman philosophy because if you learn anything about being bound from the waist up you learn how to share, <laughs> right? Right. That's funny. That's and that's that kind of, especially now. And this yeah. thing now with, with YouTube and Avenue that it's yeah. so easy to get the stuff out there. Yeah. And it's just even like on your website or anything. It's just it's crazy. Yeah. So uh, so okay. So the Joe's the the Joe's life gets yeah. canceled. Yep. Joe's life got canceled. And so then, that, now now does it is it is it depressing? I mean, because you, you're you know especially with the, with cop rap. Okay, you knew it was yeah. all weird. Like, oh, what the hell's going on? Yeah. The next one, Civil Wars. It, you yeah. have a great cast. Yeah. And you and, and and it got good reviews, but just yeah. people didn't watch. Yeah. And it must. I mean, it must suck. It's one thing if you're an actor. I know actors who've been in shows, and I know writers have written for yeah. shows that say they just sucked. Yeah. But I know there are other people who say, like, "I'm on the show, and I don't know why it got canceled." And they said sometimes it's really depressing because it's such a good piece of work. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Is it do you go through like some self-loathing when you? know it's not you you know it's it's the audience isn't watching well there's there, there's a couple things that happen to you when you when you do that especially with joe's life i remember learning one thing with in that particular instance alone but one thing you you learn in this business and, and is never ever deep down anyway to take that personally because if you did you might as well not be in the business you just might as well not you know i, I um, i'm having problems with a family member right now and this family member has just come down to me and said things to me and I, I finally said to her, I said, you know what? I said, I'm a business where people I'm in a business where people shit on me every day. There's nothing you could say that can hurt right. my feelings. So you build up this thick skin on one hand. On the other hand, what happened with Joe's life was there were three young actors who played my kids and I took it upon myself and this maybe was really helpful for me in, in that transition. I took it upon myself to explain to them that it wasn't about them or us or the show in any in any way. And in doing that, I think I exercised my own, you know, true feelings about it and was able to get through it without any major depression or anything it's, like it's, that. It's a lot harder on a kid than it is going to be on yes, an adult. I mean, yes. you're kids and you don't know. It's like, you know, they always exactly. say kids in divorce, you know. Yes, exactly. I mean, they're like, it was our fault, it was our fault, even anything, yeah. you know, an argument. But with, when, when you're kids, you don't get it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so... Nope, you don't get it. Thing. And you, you know, don't like me. No, no, that's not it, you know. It's this deal is in place over here, so they have to come into our time slot or, you know, because we were up against a very successful show on another network and we beat them every week we were against them. We were up against the nanny. We beat them every week we were against them. But 
th- that particular network only had that show. Right. Our network, you know, at ABC at the time was, you know, doing great. And uh, they just wanted to move somebody else with a different deal into the slot. So, again, I think it was it was the need to explain it all to these kids and not be emotionally involved in it to let them know that it was okay that helped me get then, over Then you it. know it's okay. You said you're one of the things, well, listen to yourself. Yeah. And that's the old thing when you say, you know, yeah. you yeah. know, you give people advice. Sometimes you give people advice yeah. and then you sit there and go, you know what, well, I should really listen to this advice. Yeah. I'm giving these people. Yeah. And it, it makes sense. Yeah. So then, and then you go to a murder one. Actually, now, yeah, I went to a couple, I had a couple of, of, of big uh, uh, of pilots that didn't get picked up. Now what's, I mean, a bunch it, of movies. That must, that must suck sometimes. When, oh, when yeah. You, especially if you, I mean, it's so weird for pilots. And, it's, and a lot of times it's, it's who the person knows. I mean, it's, it can be a, a great piece of work. You know, I, I hear, you know, I've had, I've had comics come in here who, you know, you hear this pilot they're involved and you go, that can't miss. And then, oh, I get a pilot up. with Janie Kaczmarek. Okay. Mother, Malcolm in the Middle. I love Janie. She's a wonderful actress, great person. We did this pilot together that Rob Reiner and Alan Zweibel wrote. And you know Alan Zweibel yeah. from Saturday Night, and you know a Rob Reiner. And it was a Castle Rock piece. It was a great idea. It was a great pilot. 11 o'clock the night before pickups. I had my bags packed, ready to go to New York for overnights. They called and said, nope, they didn't pick us up. I don't know if it was too expensive because it was a great idea. It was about this family that moved out of New York City to Connecticut, to the suburbs, and the kids were having a hard time assimilating into suburban culture. So the father was a storyteller, so I would go up and I would tell a story, and then the mother and the father and the kids would actually play the parts in the story. So the pilot episode was about a kid, my son, who was played by Francis Capra, by the way, who was in uh, um, Bronx Tale. Okay. So it was a great cast. And uh, so, so Francis Capra's having you know trouble assimilating to this Connecticut culture, and I start telling him this story about a boy who moved to a medieval country uh, uh, um, that, and his his talent was that he could draw a perfect circle freehand, but in this medieval uh, uh, country, circles and round things had been outlawed okay. because the year before, the king had been killed by a, a plate, an errant plate from a plate smitter. You know, who was Richard Belzer, by the way. Okay. So, you know, and so we go back and, and, and I played the prince and Janie played the queen and it was amazing. We were going to do westerns. We were going to do all kinds of stuff. So maybe that's what scared him. I don't know. Maybe it was just going to be too much money, but it was a great, was really well written, really well directed, and we all had a great time doing it. Well, the one thing that's weird is, I mean, and you know, you had the sh- shows that got canceled, and you have the plasma to pick up. The thing is, though, you're getting work, so that has to be an affirmation to you. Like, yeah. I'm not doing something wrong. It's not like someone who just doesn't get any work. So oh, you're getting listen. the work, and you're yeah. on the shows, and yeah. even the pilots, and they're thinking of you. So your name is in sure. there. Sure. And now, I murder one. I'm trying to. Think. Now you played a, 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 a sister. Sister. Okay. Yeah. So now you've been playing all. You've been a cop. You've been a crooked cop. You've been yeah. a bar owner. Yeah. I mean. It really, Lawyer, it really gets uh, to yeah. chop, spring your chops all yeah. those ways. And yeah. I think it's probably because of the improv. Now, what happened with that? That was on for a few years. Now, now, well, I, I was in the last uh, uh, the last few episodes of Murder One. I was in the last arc of Murder One. Uh, but that, again, that's my previous boss, uh, Stephen Bochco. He called me up and said, hey, do you want to do this? Just like I was in uh, the, uh, the last of four episodes of a certain season uh, on NYPD. David Miltz called me up and said, uh, hey, I got this great character we want to play around with. And I said, well, I got this pilot. He goes, oh, don't worry about it. You know, if the pilot goes, we'll write you out next year. But And so, um, you know, pilot didn't go. Now, how did you, you know, know David Miltz? Where did you know him from? David actually 
Well, he's a Botchko guy. B- okay. David, David and Stephen created uh, NYPD together. But David also wrote on my show Civil Wars. He he okay, wrote so. back then. Yeah, and and so uh, you know those those guys have all been together for a long time, and so um, and it was great. And and I I, I was playing Jimmy Smith's uh, best buddy from the old neighborhood who ended up being a mobster. And uh, so a different role. There you go, mobster. Yeah, now yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that's yeah. good. That you get yeah. all across the board. Yeah. yeah. Now now you you I mean you you you're. You look at your resume, and it, I mean, you look at it's just, I mean, for TV, it's just amazing. I mean, you know, I mean, even if there, it's a guest spot, you know, like Crossing Jordan, which yeah. my girlfriend loves, Sex in the City, you know, ER, stuff like yeah. that, Providence. And uh, I mean, it must just be, it must be amazing that you work, we've worked with so many different people. It must just be very, when you look back, you must say, yeah. God damn. I mean, not, I mean, and yeah. you have worked more than, more than with just actors, but you've worked with writers and creative. Yeah. I mean, it must, I mean, you must have a Rolodex. You must know a ton of goddamn people. Well, I do, uh, you know, and uh, they, of course, change. I mean, like I told you, Stephen Bochco and I have had lunch once in a while, and, you know, and, you know, even even Stephen is going through the same things that he did before he was Stephen Bochco to get a show on the air because you know the cycle is that things change. But that's also a good, that's a good lesson for me. There have been times when I walk in, there, you know, there are times when I get offered a show and there are times when I have to audition. You know, and and sometimes an agent will say, "Oh, you're not going to audition." I go, "Yeah, man, I'm going to audition." I said, "That's what I do. I'm an actor. I audition." Well, do you, you still do you still like the process of the auditioning and getting ready? Or I, it's not that great, but I do it as part of, of my work. It's part of my toolkit. I have to be able to do that. I can't say that I don't do that for anybody. You know, and and uh, I, and it is part of the process. And you know, and I coach some people now, some pretty accomplished actors and actresses uh, for auditions they're good friends of mine and and i do love the process especially love coaching it because i get to exercise my creativity for them you know but um yeah i mean you know and there's still people i know and uh, as i said you know some things come as offers some things i have to audition for you know and that's fine you know well, it's funny i saw on your website and i also see on your um resume the voice work when when did you start doing voice work had you always done voiceovers had you, or is that something that you would ever thought because i know a lot of people come on the show and they go yeah. man when we do a voice work it's great because oh, you go in you just terrific. read it boom you're out you can show up in your you oh, know no. your I, underwear or yeah. you know i love voice work i started doing it in new york city i i, I had a, a couple uh campaigns actually uh radio campaigns then came out here and uh, it's different out here in new york you used to audition at a casting agent with uh the ad agency sometimes so you had direct input as to what they wanted when you come out here you go to your voiceover agent in a booth and they do the audition for you so they don't really know what the agency wants. I mean, they get specs and stuff like that, and they have uh, you know a, a certain amount of experience in the business. But they don't you don't get there's a middleman there. You don't get it. So the stuff that I've done mostly lately is um, working for a couple different um, animating um, directors, uh, Batman Beyond and Justice League and a few other things. And Batman cool. Beyond. Uh, that's uh, I think my friend just wrote a script for that. John Matta. Okay. That's, that's, that's all. I just did a Batman uh, movie that's going right to DVD. It's called Batman versus Robin. Uh, I played another gangster mob guy. But if you can get a regular gig on one of those shows, if you play Batman or you play the Joker or something, those are great. You do 55 episodes, you know, and you're in there for a couple hours and you're done, you know. And, uh, yeah, voice is great. Now, do you ever do uh, voices um, for any commercials now? Not lately. Um, uh, I guess it's about uh, maybe 12, 13 years ago I had Cadillac <coughs> Campaign. Um, I had... Uh, 
a few other campaigns back then. So how many takes would it take? I mean, when they come in, because I guess they, it's the only thing, I mean, it's different than acting, because in acting, you can see, yeah. you can emote with your body, yeah. but in yeah. the voice, you have to sit there and say, you know, yeah. it was a long, what, I mean, just the thing, I mean, how many, what was the most takes you ever took? Do you, I mean, or one of those things where you're just like, God think, damn, what am I doing wrong here? I think t- 50, 20, 25, 50, whatever it was, you know, 50 probably was the most, uh, four, was the least okay, and uh, it's still, and but they're still quick. It's it's still a, even oh, when you do fifty, quick. it's yeah. a still a quick death. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes it's pieces. That's why it's fifty takes. You know, you get if you get a big block of copy, and they just want you to redo the ending or or a particular uh, spot. Um, but that voiceover is a great career. The one thing I will not ever do again in voiceover is uh, unless they pay me a lot of money and to a charity is a book on tape. Have you done one before? What, oh. what, what book did you? Do? I mean, I, I, you know, it's funny when you say book on tapes. Years ago, when me and my ex-wife moved out here, yeah, I, we actually moved to Vegas first. But I, I went to the library in in Nutley, New Jersey. I was living in Nutley, and uh, it's so funny. I saw Chris yeah. Christie at a diner in Nutley on TV <laughs> yesterday. I'm like, I told my girlfriend, I said, you yeah. I lived there for two years, and uh, we got the books on tape, and and it was it's so funny because some of them really made a difference. Like when I heard the Green Mile, and uh-huh. uh, it was. Um, Whoever did Philip Michael Clark's character, right. it was like almost exact, and it, it made and there's so, so much easier because it passes time when you're driving. Oh yeah, but it must be because you're probably dealing with the author and the publisher, and just it must be a cluster. Well, you're really only dealing with um, with with the publisher and the production. But the thing that was, I did a book called American Hero. That book became the movie Wag the Dog. Okay, okay, David Mamet. No. But Mamet wrote the movie, the screenplay. Right, screenplay, right. Um, so this particular book, on tape anyway, I had to do like 20 different characters or at least affect an accent or affect a, an age or something. And I had to do Bush Sr. And, and Baker in it as well. And so I said, guys, get me some tape so I can study this, you know. Well, they never got me to tape. They never, you know, And now... Because they screwed the timing on me, the scheduling, my wife and I were supposed to go away. Instead of doing it over three days, I had to do it all in one day. So I went from 10 in the morning till 12 at night. The problem was, as an actor, when you do a character, most often you have some physical affectation as well, even if you're changing the voice, because it just all comes together. I couldn't move in that seat because the microphone was so, you know, um, intense. It was so, uh, what do you call it? Um, um, you know, it was, it picked up everything. Right. So it's very sensitive. To so whatever, I just couldn't even move. I couldn't even, like if I twisted my arm to play an older character, they could hear that. And they said, you can't do that. I, I was like, but put a straight jacket on me, man, because yeah, I don't know what else to do. And you're Italian. Yeah. You guys like to talk yeah, exactly. And that's just a gift. Everyone knows <laughs> that. I mean, that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So so you did you did voiceovers. Now, you also were on Everyone Loves Chris. Everybody Hates Chris. Yeah, now, that was now, fun. The thing about that show is it was... Um, it was a really good show. I mean, I watch it, and and, and, and I'm a fan of Chris Rock, and I yeah. think the stuff he's he was involved in it, and yeah. um, it was a really good show that I just I don't know. It's one of, it's another one of those things people just didn't really watch it that much, which really sucks because it's like you know it's it's and, and I hate to say this, but I think sometimes you know Middle America thinks it's a oh an African American sitcom. Well, guess what? There's a difference between Family Matters and everybody right. hates Chris. Yes. Okay, yes. Chris Rock is a brilliant comic. Okay, yeah. and nothing wrong with Family Matters. No, no, but, no. You know, but you tr- can't compare like Urkel to yeah. the, yes cri- the, the Chris's character. Right. So now, right. now, had, did you meet Chris during that? Or? I didn't meet him, but Ali Leroy, who who ran the show and was a great writer, 
uh, um, you know, I met him. He he hired me right on to do it. And then it was really funny because I started on as a, a janitor in the school they that uh, that the kids went to, and uh, I did like the first. First season that I did, it was like their second or third. And then they called me back to do another one as the janitor. And then they called me back and they said, uh, hey, uh, we want you to play a wrestling coach. I said, well, yeah, okay, I'd love to. I said, but you guys know I'm the, I'm the janitor too. They go, no, it's okay, we don't care about that stuff. So I came in and I played this wrestling coach. I was a res- wrestled in high school and in college. So, uh, so you played football and you wrestled in college? And I wrestled, yeah. Oh, and now how are your grades? Yeah. Okay. I was just saying, not as good as my no, kids. If, if you if you said like A's, I'd be like, I'd be like, no, 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 I'd be like oh come no, on, I'm man. not that guy. I'm like, yeah. No. They, don't you hate that guy? No, it's I'm like, not oh, that guy. Robbie ever. Robbie Benson was on my show. Oh yeah. And he's like, you know, he played basketball, and then he turns out he was Val Victorian. I'm like, dude, that's just not cool. You're great. Every girl loved <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. You're great in hoops. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, get out of here. Yeah. Andrew Luck was like that. He was Val Victorian of his of his class, I think, and then went to Stanford. You know, but uh, no, I. I uh, you know, high C's. I mean, I busted my ass to get an A, and in, in, in from high school on. You know, but um, so anyway, so I was on Everybody Hates Chris, and I, uh, I do uh, this wrestling coach character. It was so much fun. Then they called me back and they said, "We've got a scene. We're going to do a Patty Duke thing with you. You got to play both characters. You got to play funny. that's the funny. you know the janitor and their cousins in this thing." So okay, so okay, so okay. At least they they cleared yeah, it up. Yeah, they cleared not, it up. You didn't go from oh, this guy was a. So jerk. I did okay. a split screen. I did like I'm like holy, you know, Patty Duke. How, how did they do. shoot that? Like, did they sit there and they shot you in your janitor? They shot clothes? me in one thing in, in 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 my janitor clothes, and they put a guy like my stand in in you know in my other suit next to me. But they cut him out. But in case he moved in. You had still the costume there, you know. Then they put me in the other costume and did the same thing to him on the other side. But the funny thing was is the, the show creator, Ali, said to me, he goes, so what are you going to do to make them different? What are you going to do? I said, dude, I said, I already created these two characters separately. What do you want me? He goes, no, but you got to do something to make them different. I go, oh, okay, okay. So I said, okay, the janitor is Pesci. And the wrestling coach is De Niro. He goes, "Good, good. That's good enough for okay. me." <laughs> so that's so. I just I tried, you know, uh, to, to affect either one of those, and, and it worked out. It was fun. And I'm like, who gets to do that stuff? Yeah, it was I mean, like that's... cop rock. It's like who gets to do that? You know? Yes, great. And then actually, it was funny. We brought up Cold Case. You wrote an episode of Cold Case, yes. which is, I love that because I yeah. was like because of Philadelphia. And it's so funny. One episode, they're like they were at a country club in Cherry Hill, and I'm like, oh my god! And you don't think about that, it's like because no. you know people don't know. I mean, people from back east know, and it's like I, I have a friend who's an entertainment lawyer and uh, we always get in arguments because when I met him I told him I was from Philly but yeah. I'm from Cherry Hill and he doesn't understand like for yeah. you you could say you're from New York because yeah. people don't yeah. get that it's a yeah. small state but there's two different things yeah. and that's why I love Cold Case because they make references yeah. even Boardwalk Empire because I went to Stockton yeah. they make references yeah. of you know different towns well it's funny because uh, on Cold Case I got I got like five to ten fan letters going finally somebody who does a, a real philadelphia accent on that show and you know i'm from north jersey but i spent my summers with guys from philly down in wildwood and cape may and i used to go to stone i used to go to stone harbor you know, and, yeah. and, and stone harbor you know so uh so and i and she's and she's one of these women said to me are you where are you from i said i'm from north jersey you know and uh but when i did the accent in the read-through all the cast members said are you, are you from philly I go, no yeah, the, the, the accent is so distinct. You know? I always tell people because I, I call in after not during football season, but I call into a, a sports radio show, WIP yeah. in Philadelphia, uh-huh. Big Daddy Graham show, and um, 
I call it midnight. He's overnight, yeah. so it's three there. But it's so funny because when when we we have been out of touch and we start talking and. It's so funny when I hear him on air because I wait till I call and I hear the callers and you know and I grew up in Cherry Hills so it wasn't yeah. as bad yeah but you really forget like like I'll, I would get a shuttle home from the airport and the guy would be talking and you like <laughs> and you're like oh my god we forget that accent yeah. and it's yeah. it's just crazy yeah so now and you I mean you've been in so many shows you were in Sons of Anarchy you did a guest yeah that was there. great fun too because I, I met Ron Perlman one time we were on separate movies up in Vancouver and we had some fun together having dinner out and smoking a cigar here and there and and uh, turns out that Ron knew. One of my best friends, a woman named Susan Niven, they grew up together in the Bronx. And uh, and she said, say hello to him. He goes, Susie, you know, it was so funny. They hadn't, you know, been in touch in years. And uh, and so that was great. That was great fun. And uh, those guys are great, uh, I, you know. And the, and the greatest thing, the greatest thing about doing that show was that um, about a month after it aired, uh, on my website, I got, a, uh, I got a, an email from Jimmy Smith because Jimmy and I were, were Bochco boys together. He was huge on LA law and stuff. And I had my other couple of small shows. And then when I came back on NYPD, we played old best right. friends. He goes, Oh, Petey, I'm sorry. I missed you. Cause we didn't have any scenes together on sons of Anarchy. And I went, wow, how sweet is that? I haven't seen her talk to Jimmy. There's See, one of cool. the nicest guys in this town, man. And See, that's, I've heard that. that. That's cool about sons of Anarchy. They say it's, it's like a, an adult soap opera. It's a yeah. male soap opera. I yeah. just watched the first, but you, you lose yeah. this. So now, now we have about, uh, seven and a half minutes left um you were talking about are you doing writing now is that what you're- yes um my partner um john allen nelson and i wrote a script that we have just signed a deal on uh with a big uh, production company shall remain nameless until we sell it they want to take it out to the networks for a series but it's about uh customs and border patrol and ice it's a really topical and very interesting script and um I wrote another script that I have uh, two big guns on board with. Uh, that's about that takes place in Atlantic City. Um, that I I would love to get going. I've pitched it twice now. It's been a movie on. or TV? No, it's a TV script. Now, what what era of Atlantic City? Now, okay. Which is? this this show is about? It's about uh, two brothers, NYPD cops, detectives, top of their game, twenty years in on a force, but their lives are totally unfulfilled because they want to be lounge singers. Okay. So uh, they don't get to sing the uh, national anthem at the Yankee game because they're lounge singers. So they take early retirement. They quit and go to Atlantic City. And they hook up with this beautiful ex-dancer who's a private detective, who runs a private detective agency. So they do private detective work and work on the routines. And at the end of each show, they're singing a few bars of an old standard in some shithole that's falling down in Atlantic City someplace. Now, when did you start doing the writing process have you always done it or i mean you know what when things started to slow down with acting like uh you know i actually did sell a show in 2003 uh a good friend of mine who took my kids to their black belts in karate he's an amazing man his name is john arthur he has an incredible life story he was one of the first and the most prolific investigator in the georgia bureau of investigations he's an african-american in the georgia bureau of investigations so um I wrote up a, a couple of episode synopses and a treatment, and we sold it to WB back in 2003, and then the whole deal just fell apart. So I started doing that. I started, you know, just so I wasn't going crazy, writing things and creating show ideas, some based on real lives like John Arthur's life, um, 
some of my own ideas like these two cops you know now with the two cops one so if it gets picked up because this sounds like a great idea now would you want to star in it or would that be too much to be be a star and the writer i would whatever i write if it gets sold whatever i write um i would love to be in it because i've wrote I, i i i've written these characters with myself in mind if i get to do them great if the network says to me, "Okay, we don't we don't want you in this, but we're doing," I stay on as executive producer. I stay on as created by. That's fine. I don't but, have an ego about it. But would you want to? Would you ever want to be not only on it, but one of the writers? Or are you just saying, "I'm fine with the idea. I don't want to go because that would probably be a very." I, mean, I, I think still want to act. Uh, you know, I've had a couple people say to me, "You should direct," and I go, "You know what? I don't know the equipment." I, and I don't have you ever feel, directed? No. Okay. I mean, improv, little right. shows, and things like that. Um, I. I don't feel like I'm I'm, a, I'm complete as an actor yet enough to be jumping off and doing a director. And I feel the same way as a writer. I think I'm a good a good writer, and it's obvious because I've got you know a couple scripts now with some juice, you know. But uh, uh, I I wouldn't hold on to the writing function if if you know because right nowadays I couldn't sell either of these shows if I had to keep myself if if the stipulation was that I was going to write it. I could be one of the writers, but I need a bona fide showrunner. I need somebody who's run a show or, or ready for a network to make the package complete to sell this show. And that's what we got with this first one about Customs and Border Patrol. But um, And actually, I have it with the other one, too, with the two cops. I have a, a great guy, um, um, Bill D'Elia, who's one of um, David Kelly's executive producers. He's a director. He's the executive producer, director. That's uh, Bill D'Elia. It's Chris D'Elia's Chris D'Elia's father, yeah. Well, it's funny is a guy who I met through a comic back east, uh, Brian yeah. Herslinger, yeah. who directed uh, uh, Drew Barrymore or me, whatever. Bill D'Elia was like his uh, mentor yep. when he started working on, um, yeah. I forget what show. Now, Bill D'Elia started working out here on my shows at Bochco. He was the director okay. for Bochco. So that's how we knew each other. When I went back and I recurred on Boston Legal, uh, he gave me the job recurring on Boston Legal for a couple of years there as one of the district attorneys. I said to him, hey, let me show you a couple of shows ideas I have. And he said, okay. He goes, oh, I like that one. And it was uh, what, what uh, you know, the one about the two cops. And then to run it as a writer, um, I have Michael Chernichin who yeah. ran Law & Order. Okay, for a long time. So you got it. You got and I did a pilot. So you were talking about guys that I know in the business. I did a pilot for Michael years ago, which was up against Murder One. It was called People V. It was the same kind of show. The leads were me, Lee F. Schreiber, um, um, uh, geez, um, uh, Bruce Davidson. Um, anyway, it's a great cast. Lee F. Schreiber, yeah. yeah Lee F. Schreiber, Ray Donovan's go. a great it show. Go. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. yeah, I want to thank you. Man. I want to thank you for coming on. Oh, it's, thanks. Uh, no, it's so funny that when I saw you, and I, I, I might have been a medalist. Were you ever on Castle? I was on both medalist. It was and Castle. Castle. I saw you. You played yeah. a construction guy on Castle. No, I just saw it a few weeks ago. Pizza guy. Well, no, yeah, pizza guy who, yeah. who was. They yeah, found the, murders, the body. The yeah, pizza murders, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's when I remember because yeah. I sit there and I go, I go, I, I, I remember the, the tales. I said, you know, what? And I went on Facebook <laughs> and and said, I got to send the guy. And it's so funny because some of you guys that, that you're not friends with, it cost you like a dollar to send a message. And oh, I go, really? But I always said that if they go, if they know that, they go, well, at least took the effort, not just yeah. send it some. Yeah. But no, I'm glad you came out because it's so funny. I still remember that that tales from the crypt. That was a great episode. And so so now give the people a. Any your contact? Are you tweet? Do you do any of that stuff? Or how can people? I, get- I am on Twitter. I haven't done it yet. Uh, um, I haven't. I think I tweeted once. I'm still getting used to all that stuff. Uh, my website peteronorati I, uh, I I start a new series for Stephen uh, uh, called Murder in the First. Uh, we start filming in December. 
It won't be on until 2014. It's going to be on TNT. Uh, no, what's that about? Tay Diggs is starring in okay, it. Is that a... It's a murder mystery, a one-year a one murder mystery, and I'll, they'll move on, I'm sure, okay. to another one the next year if it gets picked up. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and you know, I'm just... My kids, my my twins just graduated college, so uh, your life's great you know, for you. It's it's pretty cool. Well, I want to thank you, people. Check us by saying Peter Onorati. So just so you know, spell this: P E T E R, of course, Peter, and then O N O, like Ono R A T I. Remember that Ono R A T I. And people follow me at Twitter at Cooper Talk. I'm always tweeting a lot of stuff. Uh, go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have about uh, I have 199 episodes up, I think. Also, uh, listen to WSDIChicago.com. They play me every once in a while. Actually, every Wednesday night at 8, they play a Best of Cooper Talk. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, one word, Cooper Talk. You can find all my episodes up there, too. Um, next Tuesday, I'll be at the Ha Ha Cafe in North Hollywood. The Tuesday after, I'll be at Michael's right here in Olive and Burbank. So come on out. Um, it's a free show if you get there before 8 o'clock for Ha Ha, and it's free all the time at Michael's. So I want to thank you for listening. Remember, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk, Cooper at Indy100.com. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. And don't forget, drink your water, eat your vit- take your vitamins, and eat your vegetables. You guys have a great weekend.